Hi ladies, good to be with you again. We are moving into week four of CPRT, so I'm gonna have my manual in front of me and you can certainly follow along in yours. It's been so encouraging and exciting for me to see how your weeks have been going, so I am encouraged that you are starting to feel more comfortable and starting to use these skills and train parents in an effective way. And this week, as promised, as long awaited for many of your parents I know, we're moving into the limit setting skill, which is really, I, I would argue, what most people prefer to hear, but unfortunately they have to wait till week four to get it. So, But that is purposeful because again, we started with the reflective responding and we had to get them understanding at a foundational level why we're doing this and, and how it works and therefore those be with attitudes, the reflective responding approaches, those all inform the limit setting approach as well. So we'll go ahead and get started. Two rules of thumb today. And the first is when a child is drowning, it's not the try to it's not the time to teach them to swim. And this is a very interesting illustration for me because I have seen this again and again and again. And I typically use stories that I've observed with parents and their kids. And it's very, it's an interesting dynamic because I think parents want to use opportunities to teach a lesson, which of course children need lessons sometimes. Yet at the same time, it ends up being the child is so emotionally dysregulated that they can't even hear the lesson anyway. So the principle here is when the child is drowning, meaning emotionally, physically, mentally, there's upheaval, there's dysregulation, there's chaos. It's not the time to teach them to swim. They can't even internalize the message. They can't process what you're saying. And remember, their head and their hearts are constantly warring. And when they're in their hearts, meaning their emotional center, they can't process at a cognitive, intellectual level. And so, when there's upset or out of control in the child, the parent's job is to not use that as a moment to impart the rule or teach the lesson. And that usually resonates pretty significantly with parents. I've watched them kind of sit in that for a moment and say, oh wow, I mean, I realize that I do that a lot. So let them process that with you. And I think sometimes they just need the reminder because I think we, we kind of instinctively understand that a child isn't ready to hear a lesson in those moments, but sometimes I think parents just go that route because they don't know anything else. So, especially since we're moving into limits, obviously sometimes we try to teach our kids lessons through our limits, and so that aligns really well with the limit setting approach this week too. And then second rule of thumb, during the play sessions, limits are not needed until they're needed. And we've referenced that in earlier weeks, but it's important that the parent learns and understands that if the limit is not necessary, then there's no reason to even say it. And on the next page, we actually talk about the questions the parents will ask themselves to determine if the limit's necessary. But it's very important to help them recognize that we don't need to set limits until the limit is required. So there's no preemptive limits. There's no limits to prevent a problem. It's only in that moment that it's necessary. All right, so after you cover those rules of thumb, you'll move into the basic limit setting. Now remember, last week, there was just a very brief little example of what limit setting looks like. This week, they're actually moving into the 
three-step process, etc. But on this first page, it's really just very similar to what was in the last week's material. So you start by saying the child's name. That's really important for parents to be aware of. It is helpful for them to always use their child's name. It helps their child focus. It helps their child pay attention. And it makes it very clear that the parent is in that moment with them, you know, be with attitude. I'm, this is worth my time. So I'm going to make sure that I get your attention and I give you mine. So start by saying the child's name, Sarah, then you reflect the feeling. Now remember it is three steps. These are not the acronym steps. So you'll get to that on the next page, but reflect the feeling. I know you'd like to shoot the gun at me, set the limit, but I'm not for shooting and give the acceptable alternative. You can choose to shoot at, and then they encourage the parent to point at something acceptable. So just go over that with them, remind them that you're getting into the actual skill when you flip. So now you'll turn the page and there you'll see the acronym for it. So the acronym is ACT and they're, the reason why they, I suppose, coined it that is ACT act before it's too late. And I've actually never really trained parents that that's the phrase for it, but just for your own awareness. So A, acknowledge the feeling. This is essentially feeling reflection, even though to fit into the ACT acronym, it's an A, but it's reflecting feelings. So acknowledging the feeling is first. Communicate the limit is second. There's your C. And limits are always neutral. We get to that uh, in step number two in that next box there. And then target the alternative. So this is essentially offering an, a different choice, an alternate choice that allows for the same expression. And I'll talk you through that. So they give a scenario that you can talk through with the parents. So essentially, Billy has been pretending that the bot bag is a bad guy and shooting him with the dart gun. He looks over at you, aims the dart gun at you, laughs and says, now you're one of the bad guys too. Okay, so immediately I typically pause and say, okay, let's think through that scenario. What is the child thinking? Why is the child laughing? If the child's saying, now you're one of the bad guys too, what is the child's intention? So I dialogue that with parents. You can or cannot do that. It's up to you. And then it'll actually, in that specific scenario, it will go through the ACT steps. So acknowledge your child's feeling or desire. There's your A. Acknowledge the feeling. And the parentheses there says your voice must convey empathy and understanding. So this is an interesting one because parents will sometimes sound angry when they're reflecting feelings. Sometimes they will sound nervous when they're reflecting feelings. Like, I know that you want to shoot me, but it's like, I have to hurry up and get this out because this bad thing's going to happen. Or, oh no, no, you are not going to do that. I know that you want to shoot me, but okay. So you can see how tone of voice is very significant in this one. So acknowledge your child's feeling in an empathic and understanding way. Billy, I know that you think it would be fun to shoot me too. Now, that's just the acknowledge the feeling part. And then the italicies there basically indicate that the child learns that the feelings, the desires, the wishes, all of those things are always acceptable. So 
it's okay that you want to. It's okay that you think it would be fun. It's okay that you have the desire to. It's okay that you feel that you should be able to shoot me with a dart gun. And then again, the reference, just reflecting that, <clears throat> excuse me, diffuses the intensity of the feeling or need. So right there, there's a lessening of the reaction. There's a lessening of the intention, just helping them under be feel understood and heard that automatically diffuses. Okay. So there's your acknowledgement of the feeling. Then you move into communicate the limit, which the parenthetical reference there is be specific and clear and brief. So remember messages get lost in their words in the number of words used rather. And so the more that we say, the less the child hears. So the most brief, concise, specific limit that you can state is the best. So in this case, but I'm not for shooting. And I take a little bit of time here to talk through how you set the limit because, and that's actually part of week five. So they will get more training on it in week five, but especially when they're first learning this and they're first ready to go home and try this out and use this with their kids, it's very easy for them to want to change the wording of the limits. You can't shoot me, or it's not okay for you to shoot me, or I don't want you to shoot me, fill in the blank. They have their way of phrasing the limit. I encourage them and I make it a point to say, blank is not for blank. That's the phrase that's very neutral in limit setting. So I am not for shooting. In this case, they're using a personal pronoun there by saying I. When I train parents and when I use this limit, I, I'm, I'm shot or I'm at least aimed at probably almost every day of my life that I'm at my practice. And I very specifically say people aren't for shooting because this is just me, but I feel like if I say I'm not for shooting, they could just as easily say, okay, good. Well, next time I'll shoot mom instead or I'll shoot someone else instead. So that's just my personal preference there. I typically say people are not for shooting because I feel like that very clearly defines that other things can be shot, but people, humans in general are not for shooting. But either way, I'm not for shooting or people aren't for shooting. It's important that that is blank is not for blank because saying you can't shoot me. I don't want you to shoot me. It's not a good idea to shoot me. There's lots of ways that you can set that limit, but blank is not for blank essentially says you're not wrong for wanting to. And it's not a problem either way. It's just that that is not for that. The ball is not for kicking inside the house. The wall is not for coloring on. People are not for shooting. Water is not for pouring on the floor. You can see how it's just that does not belong with that. And then it's a very neutrally set limit. Okay, so that's your A and your C. So acknowledge the feeling, communicate the limit, T, target the alternative. That's essentially providing one or more choices. And we haven't gotten to choice giving yet, but choices are always reflective of child's age. So if it's a younger child, they would get one choice. If it's an older child, they would get two choices. So in this case, they're offered one. You can pretend that the doll is me and they make a point to say point at the doll. 
they believe that pointing, the, just the act of pointing, they meaning the authors of this training, they believe that pointing helps the child immediately redirect. I personally don't do a whole lot of pointing. I, I don't know, I am a gesture when I talk, but I, for some reason, I just don't point very often when I give limits. But they do recommend that the parent points at the choice. So in this case, they're pointing at the doll. You can pretend the doll is me and point at it. And here's what's really important for parents to understand. The goal is to provide the child with an appropriate outlet for expressing the original desire while still allowing the child to develop and exercise self-control. So if the child wants to shoot at a bad guy, and see this is really important where the feeling reflection circles back because it's extremely important for the parent to fully understand why the child wants to do something and or the feeling that's being expressed. Because if the parent just says, you can choose to shoot the dart gun at the ceiling, if the child specifically wanted to shoot at a bad guy, the ceiling doesn't allow for that need. So it was not just the act of shooting a gun, it was shooting the gun at a bad guy and I, in this scenario, I was becoming a bad guy too, so I was going to get shot at. In this case, if you say the doll, the doll could be a bad guy. So see how the parent has to be very aware and conscious of what's the initial feeling or desire and how do I offer a choice that makes sense with that initial need. So pointing helps redirect child's attention, I mentioned that. Okay, so then after you go through that, some parents are going to have questions, some parents are going to need some more clarification, but remind them that you're actually going to get into some practice as soon as you finish this page, so sometimes they'll be willing to hold off if they know they're going to get to do some practice with you. So then moving into when to set limits. Going back to that rule of thumb, play session rules are the limits are needed only when they're needed. There's four basic reasons why they encourage limits to be set during the play session. And they're right there with those bullets. So protect the child from hurting himself or the parent. So you have to be safe, I have to be safe. That's very clear from the very beginning. To protect valuable property, meaning something in the room that you're doing the play sessions in that could get broken, you know, um, knickknacks, trinkets, lamps, TVs, wherever the parent may have set up the play session. To maintain the parent's acceptance of the child, I will tell you, especially early on in therapy, when kids come in and they need to mess make, when they need to chaos create, when they need to be aggressive, when they need to, you know, just dump stuff on the floor, I, I I willfully choose not to set a limit because I know that is necessary for that kid, but that is a decision that I have to make each and every time where I say to myself, if I choose not to set a limit on this, I choose to accept the child in the behavior. And that is a struggle for me because all I see when the child's doing that is, oh my word, it's gonna take me an hour to clean this up. And that's on me, that's my need to adjust and you know, be aware of my own issues. But that is a willful choice that I make every single day because if I said, I know that you'd like to make a mess but the toys are not for dumping out on the floor, 
that could be the way that I would make sure that I could continue to accept the child, yet it's preventing the child from doing what they need to do in the playroom and the work that they're there to do. So that is a tough thing that I have to be very aware of because it is hard for me to accept a child's behavior when they are just swiping shelves and dumping buckets and I mean it's making a mess for the sake of making a mess and then it makes it even worse when they go and you have to clean this up and I think oh my gosh I wish I could just make you clean it up but I say yes you remember that it's my job to clean up when you come play and that is an awareness that parents need to have you have to be able to help them see the significance of maintaining the acceptance of the child if the limit is not set. Meaning, if the child wants to keep dressing the parent up in opposite sex dress-up clothes. So, and I think I, I mentioned this, you know, I had a dad who the boy kept putting princess wigs on him and feather boas and he, I mean, I could just see it all over his face. He hated every second of it, but he didn't set the limit. But I had to keep saying to him when we would meet, okay, but were you fully accepting of him while he was doing that? No, I wanted him to stop. And I said, okay, well, in that case, then you needed to set the limit because you have to be able to continue to accept the child. So that's a big one. And then providing consistency in the play session by limiting the child and toys to the play area and ending on time. That's a mouthful, but basically, if the child starts to leave the rug or the sheet or the quilt or whatever they have laid out for the session, that warrants a limit as does ending early or trying to continue to play when time is up. So if the child violates one of those two expectations, then a limit is set. So those are the four reasons why those rules of thumb, sorry, why those limits are needed. And then here are the questions I referenced just a minute ago. Before setting a limit in the play session, ask yourself, this is what you're saying to the parents, is this limit necessary? Is this something that I feel is a requirement? Is this something that I need to do right here and now? Necessary for any reason. Necessary because it addresses one of these four things here. Necessary because I feel that I have to for safety's sake or for my sanity's sake or whatever. Can I consistently enforce this limit? That's another big one because if in one play session the parent sets a limit, then that means that the sessions after that will have the same limit. So that's an interesting dynamic. If in one moment the parent's grumpy and says, you know what, I just don't want to tolerate this, but then two sessions later decides, oh no, it's okay, it's not a big deal to me, that's confusing to the child. So you do have to encourage them that it has to be consistently enforced. And third, here's where I was mentioning before. If I don't set a limit on this behavior, can I consistently allow this behavior and still accept my child? Can I continue to let this child shoot the ball gun all around the, the blanket for 30 minutes straight? If that's going to bother you because of the sound, because of the annoyance because of the fragility of things in the room for whatever reason if the parents sitting there saying I just I just can't deal with this for 30 minutes straight then they have to weigh that and decide whether or not the limits necessary okay so here's the caveat to all of this this next paragraph you want to encourage the parents to avoid play sessions in areas that are going to require a lot of limits so just by default, if you're in a room where there's a lot of breakable things or a lot of things that are important or a lot of other reasons why you would need limits, 
that's automatically setting the parent up to have to set a whole bunch of limits when they wouldn't have had to if they were somewhere else. So the entire point of the play session is to allow for greater freedom of expression for the child than would normally be allowed. And that is easier when there are fewer limits. So walk the parents through that. Consistency is very important. That's bolded there. So I would stress that with parents and determine a few limits ahead of time. You can encourage parents to say, you know, go into the session with a few limits where you know if something like that comes up, you're going to set a limit. And the examples are no hitting or shooting at a parent, no Play-Doh on the carpet, no purposefully breaking toys, etc. So they can have a few things in mind that, you know what, I feel like these are applicable for these four basic reasons and I've asked myself this, these three questions and yes, I feel that this would be something I would need to set a limit on. They can go in prepared. They don't have to fly blindly here. And the hint that a lot of parents will be thankful to hear is children really do understand that playtimes are special and that the rules are different. They will not expect the same level of permissiveness outside of the play session. That is a pretty consistent question is, okay, well, you know, if I let them shoot me in the play session, does that mean they're going to think they can shoot me the rest of the week? So that hint is really to kind of alleviate that fear that parents typically have. All right. So then how to set limits. A lot of this was already covered, but for your sake, especially since you're new to this and you're learning this, I'll go over this again. It's really important that limits are not stated punitively. And they are always firmly, calmly, and matter-of-factly stated. I like this analogy. You empathically acknowledge the feeling and you say it in such a way that you are just stating a fact. So it says, you would say the Play-Doh is not for throwing at the table in the same way that you would state the sky is blue. So there's no emotion behind it. There's no urgency behind it. There's no attitude behind it. It's just, that's why I love the blank is not for blank. X is not for Y. Because it's very clear that this is just a neutral fact. I, it's not upsetting me. It's not a problem for you. It's just factually stated. And this is, this is the big one for parents. They do not need to try to force the child to obey the limit. And as long as they provide an acceptable alternative, really necessary part of that, as long as they provide the acceptable alternative, the child decides whether or not to accept or break the limit. And all the parent has to do is to consistently enforce the limit. And when you show the Cookies, Choices, and Kids video, all of this kind of settles in and makes a lot more sense. So I think just for now, that is enough. But Gary Landreth does such an effective job at really kind of sitting in that awareness for them and helping them to really understand and own that I don't have to enforce anything. All I'm doing is, well, no, I don't have to force anything. All I have to do is enforce whatever the child chose. And then at the bottom, they talk through why it's important to establish limits. And they're, they need to be consistent. Here's why. Because children feel safe and secure through those limits. And they're learning self-control. They're learning self-responsibility. And they're being allowed to experience the consequences of their choices. Again, this is so very well covered in Gary Landers' Cookies, Choices, and Kids video. 
and limit set in play sessions help the children practice self-control and begin to learn to stop themselves in the real world? That's another question. A lot of parents will say, how is what we're doing in the play session going to carry over into real life? Because it's practice. Everything a child does in the playroom, every time a child creates a world in the sand in my sand room, every time they play through something in the playroom, they are practicing for real world experience. Because when kids feel that they are capable of handling something and they know what to do, they are able to implement it in a real world scenario. But just like you aren't going to go compete in the Olympics if you don't know what the process is, you know, you obviously have to train, you have to practice, you have to be prepared, you have to know going in. Well, same thing for kids. They want to be this ideal self. I want to be self-controlled. I want to be self-regulated. I want to be self-responsible. Yet, I'm everything but that right now. Well, I don't know how to get from here to there unless I practice it. And that's exactly what's happening. So they're practicing self-control, self-responsibility, accepting consequences, and then that carries over into the real world. Then here's your little flow chart at the bottom. You have parents set consistent limits. It creates a predictable, safe environment, and that establishes a sense of security for the kids. Well, and the relationship between the child and the parent, actually. So, all right, let's flip. Here is in-session practice worksheet. So you'll actually go through this with them. Example one and two are already done, so you can actually just read through that with the parents. They gave another bot bag scenario, and it's a little bit different. It's actually with scissors this time, but I feel that it's been covered a lot. I feel like there's been three examples in a row with bot bags, so I typically change that one a little bit just so that it's not the same exact thing again and again, but if you'd like to just read it straight from the page, that's absolutely up to you. But again, you're modeling for them tone of voice, facial expression, the phrasing of it, and it's important to say, Okay, Billy, I know that you think it'd be fun to stab the bot bag. That's the acknowledge the feeling. So it's helpful to kind of tease apart each individual one, give them the term and the phrase for each one. I will typically quiz them. I, I tell them that, or sometimes I'll cover it, whoever's next to me. I actually cover the top of the page where it gives the ACT definition. And I say, okay, what's A? What are they doing there? and I quiz them. So if you're comfortable with that, do that as well. It really helps them to commit it to memory. I actually did that to you all, I think, in our hangout last week. So <laughs> there you go, you're on to me. Okay, so example number one, right there. Example number two, again, it's written out for them. The only difference is in this particular instance, you add the C part of ACT at the beginning. So Example one, straight ACT. Example two, C comes first, then you move into ACT. Here's why. The child has already begun to hit. So anytime there is a behavior that needs to be stopped immediately, encourage the parents to not go through the whole ACT process before they set a limit on the behavior. That's only because the child has already started to hit. Should the child be raising up their fist like they're going to hit, then you would just do ACT. But child is already hitting, you go straight to the limit. So, and notice that there's the parenthetical references there of how things are stated, also very important. Because the firm communication of the limit is crucial, then the reduction of the firmness to empathy 
is very important for the acknowledgement of the feeling and you'll see that there. So firmly, Billy, I'm not for hitting. Then you take the step back from that. I know that you're mad at me firmly, but people aren't for hitting. Then you go to neutral for the alternative. You can pretend the bop bag is me and hit the bop bag. So help them understand and see the value of going straight to the limit when it warrants it. And examples one and two are there so you can actually just have them read it with you. Sometimes I'll have the parents read those out loud, etc. however you want to do it. Okay, these practices are a struggle for, I would actually argue more than half. And it's not that they're struggling with the ACT, they're struggling with understanding the child's intentions from these examples. So I'm just gonna throw that out there ahead of time. Be prepared for having to redirect and really kind of coach the parents on what is actually happening. Just like I mentioned on that initial scenario that, where was that? Oh, you're one of the bad guys too. They wanna shoot you because you're a bad guy. Offering them to shoot at the ceiling would not be an appropriate alternative because there's no bad guys on the ceiling, okay? So they're gonna have a hard time, especially with this number one. Number one is so tricky for most parents and I've spent many, 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 many instances going through them with them this scenario. So child begins to color on the dollhouse saying it needs some red curtains. Now the assumption is, and here's the thing, when I, when I do trainings and when I talk to parents about this, I always set things in context. So their context here is, it would be okay to color on a cardboard dollhouse, but if you bought an expensive dollhouse, you wouldn't want the, the child coloring on the dollhouse. So I always set the expectation, even in the workshops and other trainings that I do, I say, you know, the assumption here is because you wanna make it clear why the limit would be set. Okay, so I know you really want to, now keep in mind, the parent manual has blanks even though yours is filled in. So they are looking at, I know you really want to, blank line. So this is your cue in the therapist manual that they do not have. So I know you really want to, okay. I would argue at least half of your parents are going to say, color on the dollhouse. And maybe because you don't know any better and this is your first time hearing this, you would go, okay, right. They want to color on the dollhouse. And I would encourage you and the parents to say, hang on, what did the child say? And let them think through that, read it, process it. Oh, it needs some red curtains. Okay, so I know you really want to, and then sometimes still they don't get it, but you're wanting to lead them down the path of the child thought the house needed red curtains. They were not wanting to color on the dollhouse. See the difference. It's very, very important. So I know you really want to put curtains on the dollhouse, or I know you really want red curtains. There's the communication, the, well, the acknowledgement of the feeling. Okay, so then your C, and I, I would say there, what does C mean? Communicate the limit. Okay, so we're gonna communicate the limit, but the dollhouse, now here's one of those instances where it might be helpful to say, a is not for B. So the dollhouse 
is not for and then have them fill that in. In this case, coloring on would be appropriate. Then T, what does T mean? Target the alternative. Okay, so you can, now they did not put choose in that example, but you should. So you can choose. Now, this is also where parents will have a really tough time. They'll say, you can color red curtains on, on a cardboard dollhouse, to which I would say, but they don't have a cardboard dollhouse in the play session, they have the one you bought in the play session. Oh, okay, well, they can um, find something to hang up for curtains. Then I say, okay, but what kind of curtains did they want? Red, okay, so they're gonna want red curtains. So they're gonna have to process this. This is not intuitive for a lot of parents. You can choose to make red curtains on the paper and tape them on the dollhouse. Because the play sessions, they always have blank paper. Sometimes they have construction paper that might be red. But either way, they can make curtains on the paper and tape them onto the dollhouse. So that's gonna be a tricky one. But walk them through each piece of that, help them fill in lines. I typically ask multiple parents to share what they thought or what they wrote down. So if you have time, ask and see what their feedback is. Now, two is very similar to some of the other examples. So I typically change it a little bit, but you can keep it as is if you want. And the scenario is your child aims a loaded dart gun at you. So this might be an opportunity to acknowledge the child's name piece of this. So. Sarah, I know, help remind them to use the child's first name. So I know you'd like to shoot the gun at me, but people are not for shooting. Again, that's my phrase, but I'm not for is there. You can choose to shoot at and then point at something else acceptable. That's kind of one that they should be able to do pretty easily. And then there are two more with what I would argue as farly, um, much more complicated scenarios as that keeps going. So after 15 minutes of the playtime, your child announces that she wants to leave and go outside to play with her friends. This is one where they're gonna have to guess as to why, surmise as to why, figure out the why. So there's gonna be a lot of directions that this can go. But I think probably the most basic is I know that you'd like to go play with your friends right now. It could be, I know you are getting bored during our playtime. Could be, I know you can hear your friends knocking on the door and you wish that you could be out there with them. So all of these scenarios are situational, situation specific. So however that ends up coming out of the parent, as long as they feel that it would be a valid reason why, that's acceptable. So again, what is A? What is C? What is T? Help them rehearse that again and again and again. So acknowledge the feeling. I know you'd like to go play with your friends right now. Communicate the limit. But we have 15 more minutes in our special playtime. T, target the alternative. You can choose to go outside and play when we're all done. You can choose to go play with your friends tomorrow when we don't have our playtime. You can choose to finish our playtime and have 30 minutes outside with them later. 
There's lots of, again, there's lots of ways that that can unfold. Okay, four, when you're training dads, this is a very different scenario than if you're training moms, and some of you have co-ed groups. So be prepared. Dads are going to think this is no big deal. Some moms are gonna think this is no big deal. You, again, set the context. So you make it very clear the parent does not want the child to lift their shirt up. And dads would say, well, I would take my whole shirt off. And some moms would say, well, I don't think that's a problem. That's what they do at the doctor's office. But you have to set the expectation that in order for this to work, the, the parent does not want the child to lift their shirt up. So your child wants to play doctor and asks you to be the patient. Your child asks you to pull up your shirt so that he or she can listen to your heart. So A, what does A mean? Acknowledge the feeling. Joni, I know you want me to pull up my shirt. Okay, here's one of those scenarios where parents are going to get the feeling wrong. So they'll say, I know you want to listen to my heart. That's, that's probably what you're going to get more than anything else. I know you want to listen to my heart. And I say, hang on. Yes, that is what the child wants to do. But that, that doesn't get to the heart of where the limit is going to come in. So, well, yeah, but that, I mean, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to listen to my heart. Yes, but what is the behavior that is not acceptable? They're trying to pull my shirt up. Okay, so then we go to that for the feeling reflection. I know that you'd like to pull my shirt up like at the real doctor. What is C? Communicate the limit. Okay, my shirt is not for pulling up. Neutral, calm, factual. A is not for B. What's T? Target the alternative. You can choose to listen to my heart through my shirt, or you can choose to pretend that the doll is me, or the teddy bear is me, or whatever, and pull its shirt up. So this is a tricky one because it's a little bit more complex. It's a little bit more detailed with what the feeling is, what the desire is, what the inappropriate behavior is. So they may need to spend a little bit of time dialoguing that. Okay, five is really helpful because this is going to go specifically to what the parent is struggling with. So what is a situation that the parent will think that they might need to set a limit during the play session? Oh, I know 100% for sure my kid's gonna wanna leave the play area even though we have everything set up in a boundary. Okay, so you talk through ACT with that parent. Then another parent's going to say, oh my gosh, I know the child's not gonna end at 30 minutes. They're gonna start pitching a fit and crying and screaming and saying, no, I don't wanna stop and they're gonna fight me tooth and nail. Okay, so we're gonna talk through that scenario. So that's actually a very helpful practice because it actually prepares them for what might happen when they do the play session this week. So. There's your in-training practice, and they will see that they have parent play session notes at the end of the material moving forward. That is how they take assessment of how they did. So I typically have them bring that completed when they meet with me next time, which implies that they went back and watched the video and or they did this right after the session. And then it really allows me to dialogue with them about how they feel the session went, what they learned, what they learned about, well, about themselves and the child, questions, concerns, skills to focus on. It's just a really good assessment tool for them and it kind of helps put things in perspective. So go ahead and flip all the way back to the bottom of the first sheet and there are their homework assignments. So 
They're going to complete that limit setting ACT practice worksheet. There is supplemental material for this, so make sure that they have that practice worksheet printed from supplemental material. You're going to encourage them again to read over the handouts prior to beginning their session. So the limit setting handout, the play session do's and don'ts, and the play session procedures checklist. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, just like they did before when you were helping them to get prepared for their play session, same homework. Then of course they conduct their play session, complete the parent play session notes, which I just talked about. And the, the note on number three is notice an intense feeling in yourself during the play session. Dialogue about that next time. Have all the parents share what that one intense feeling was and why and, and talk through that with them. That's a really helpful peer support conversation. And then assign who's going to share their play session with you when you meet. So whichever parent is going to bring their tape for review, assign, assign a parent to that. So there you go. Week four Limit setting such a crucial piece of this puzzle for parents, especially if children have problematic or difficult behaviors. Limit setting is the respectful, effective discipline model that they probably really need and desperately want. So you finally introduced it to them. And like I mentioned, week five, there is a continuation of limit setting and it actually goes through the phrasing of the limit and why that's significant. So they're not, they actually get two weeks to practice limit setting, which is helpful because week five just kind of piggybacks on what they did week four. So thanks for your time. I'm looking forward to hearing about your sessions when we meet again. And you can always email me or get in touch with me with questions or concerns. So I'll see you again very soon. Bye.